I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You are now listening to Footy Prime, the podcast. Hosted by Danny DiCchio, Craig Forrest, and James Sharman. Hello there, football fans, and welcome to, as a man just said, Footy Prime. I'm James Sharman. To my right is Craig Forrest. To his right is Danny Dickio. Behind the keyboards is Dan Wong, who filled in so well for Beach last week, by the way. He did. He's back to the organ grinder today. We had someone actually saying on Twitter that was maybe the best show they've ever heard in Footy Prime or even the Footy Show going back 10 years. Mm. And that's because Dish wasn't here, I think. I'll get my coat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Taxi. That sounded good, though, right? Didn't that sound good, though? Dan Wong on the keyboards. We should start a band. Yes. Don't you think? Well, I've got just enough people. Practicing. So what, you don't have to do you don't have to, you don't have to play instruments anymore. Acapello? Oh, no, I definitely uh, play the drums. You, uh, you know, I was going to say, you would be the drummer. Yeah, for right? sure. Just go nuts. Yeah. Would you be a shirtless drummer? I could be a naked drummer. You'd be like, you'd be like yeah. Animal. Jesus. Animal the what are you hitting the bass drum with? Yeah. I could play at least two arms. So, Mouth. Well, it's better than Def Leppard. <laughs> it's better than Def Leppard, isn't it? <laughs> Steve Clark, right? He's missing yeah. an arm, Legend. isn't he? Absolutely incredible. A it one-arm is. drummer. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Didn't they get put in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame recently? Last few they, years? I don't know. They should be. Joe Elliott and the boys. Mm-hmm. Super. Yeah. In Birmingham, right? I believe I think so. The Brummies. Yeah. No, no, no. Sheffield. Oh, that's right. Sheffield. Oh, God. Uh, if, if Steve Dobby is listening, <laughs> I apologize, Steve. Your I, I really do. really <laughs> yeah. grinding on you now. Um, we'll get to our socials shortly, Dan. I want to oh, go. Right. I want to continue this, this 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 band thing. I like this idea. All right. So, Craig, what would you be? I, is it? Are you a karaoke? No. You know, I thought someone told me you were. No. Craig would be on a so guitar. So you wouldn't be uh, uh, electric, your guitar? Electric guitar. Tall, tall skinny guy, right? No. Guitarist. On the triangle. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so Everybody got, can play that. So we've got, we got Craig on the triangle. Yeah. <laughs> Dan on the drums. What would I, you I, be, Sean? Um, Lead singer? Well, you, you haven't heard me sing. Dan <laughs> yeah, Wong would be the uh, the backup dancer because he's, he's got a few moves, I'll tell you. Would he be naked as well? I hope not. I hope not. I've seen him. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Heavens. <laughs> All right, to the socials now. Uh, please uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. It's either footy underscore prime or footy prime the podcast, depending on what you're looking at. Check us out, follow, and subscribe, please. We really appreciate that. Um, international break, right? Hate it. Hate it. Are you bored by it? Is yes. that why you hate it? Because there's not enough right. games, or is it because it's not on TV? 
bit of both. It's not easy the to find, is it? The games bore me as well. Do they? Like the 9 ones of Italy yesterday, the 7-0s, mm. it's just... I thought they changed it up a little bit where the bigger, supposed bigger teams were playing against the bigger countries to make it a little bit more exciting, but... It's, it's still so confusing, boring, right, yeah. with Nations League and Euro qualifying. Yeah. It's still very confusing. That's the problem, I think, right now. We yeah. still can't explain it. Craig and I were at an event for Arena Soccer in Kingston yesterday trying to talk to people there about the format and what it would take for Canada, for example, to qualify for the yeah. Hex. And we couldn't do it. No. <laughs> we tried. We could have said anything, really. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's... Uh we might as well pump this next week because we we certainly uh, expect to have Victor Montagliani on the show, the CONCACAF president and vice president of FIFA, and maybe he can explain to us what's going on and the thought behind the process and and where this is all going. Has it worked? Has it not worked? Is it a work in progress? Yeah. yeah. I get the idea of Nations League. I get it, that you do want better teams and better games, but is it? it's just confusing and, and yeah. blurring it's the Pythagoras the process. theory to try and work it out. Yeah. yeah. Can't even pronounce the word. <laughs> but there were some good storylines coming out of it um, from the England camp. Forget the fact that they qualified and they smashed teams left, right, and centre. What eleven goals in yeah. in two games? But I guess the big storyline was the Raheem Sterling scrap with Joe Gomez, which kind of began, as far as we the observers saw, was during the Man City Liverpool game last week on the field. It blew up in the tunnel apparently, and then in the cafeteria at England training, uh, Sterling went at Gomez. And then got dropped by Gareth Southgate for the the first game of the weekend. Do you think Southgate overreacted here a little bit, or was he just sending a strong message? Well, I think that you have to be very careful, obviously. And Southgate has experience as a player and in a dress room. And Danny, you can speak for this as well. That you you can't have a situation like that without having some consequences. Um, I think Raheem Sterling understands that, and going by what he tweeted out about some of the the stuff that was uh, being thrown out on social media toward the uh, Gomez. Um, it's a, It happens, but it has to be dealt with. And you want to cut the, the snake's head off quickly before yep. that sort of becomes a, a real problem in the dressing room. I thought he handled it quite well, and I thought Raheem Sterling with a tweet publicly stating that um, it was wrong to have a go at Gomez, and it was wrong of him as well. I thought that was that was a good uh, good thing for him to do. Yeah, I agree as well. I, I think he dealt with it really well. I think <coughs> it was going to come out in the press regardless of, of what they were going to do. So mm. Southgate had to deal with it in a way uh, where he made Sterling the culprit, I think. Um, by all accounts, Joe Gomez is, is a kind of quiet guy anyway, a family guy. Not saying Sterling's not a family guy, but it, it obviously bubbled and kind of came to a head. Came for sure. to a head yeah. in that. And I've been at St George's in England. I've been there actually when the England team are there as well. And it's a pretty open place. They have security guards following the team about, but it's pretty open for the hotel as well. By the way, like it's a hotel where the public can go and stay. So it's obviously gone on in public view as well. So that's why I think they had to come to some kind of terms and Sterling's come out and apologise, rightfully so, and in a good way. Uh-huh. Obviously the, the the press are all there and there's a scratch on Gomez's... Oh, for Christ, that it's a it's scratch. A scratch. Exactly. Christ's sakes, you, you see the tabloids? <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you think he'd lost an eye. And it's a as freaking said, scratch. This happens... <laughs> all the time. All the time. In it's not always a bad thing, it's is it? Mainly, it's mainly... Keeps an edge. It's mainly on the pitch where it happens, on the training pitch... Mm-hmm. Or in the locker room after the change room after a game where 
two fellas have, have just either collided or they disagreed on a night out and they've taken it out on the on the pitch the next day and it's mm. it's fisticuffs and once it's happened the team will sort it out normally the, 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 the head coach the manager doesn't have to sort it out and the players sort it out themselves but because it's an international circuit and an international group of players I heard all kinds of crap going on about they shouldn't have had the Liverpool Man City game the day before oh Jesus the national team met up yeah. what a load come of Codswell that is come on yeah this was sorted out in the right way. I think Sterling took it on the chin. He set out the game. The the booze going on for Gomez as he was coming on to the game and the game after was an absolute disgrace by the small minority of England fans as well. That was disgraceful. It's been sorted out. It's under. It's swept under the carpet now. It's dealt with. England have moved on to the Euros, and we, we won't hear of this again. I'm telling you. There are certain other sporting figures across the globe that may have taken a lesson from Raheem Sterling and owned it and apologised straight away and maybe, maybe there, their week would have been smoother as a result. Not saying any names because, right. you know, us lefties here on this podcast don't want to obviously upset anyone. <laughs> us pinkos. Hey, we appreciate all the comments about our podcast too and uh, and uh, we respect everybody's points of view. Well, so. I don't. I don't respect everyone's point of view. What are we talking I about do. here, fellas? Some people are twats. I was away last week. Oh, so right, you were away. Yeah. Don Sherry, did you hear about all that? I saw a little bit of it. I don't yeah. watch hockey, so... Yeah, well, so, yeah. So, so our podcast last week, you know, you know, our podcast is organic. We, we talk yeah. about whatever the hell we want, you know, and we went, it was a huge story here, um, and it related to racism, given that we've discussed it in this podcast in recent weeks. We thought we should address the Don Cherry situation. Mm. That's fine. We, we gave our opinions, um, and, and generally speaking, I think they were really well received. But you get the old person, mm -hmm. right? Who, who, as you uh, always do. As you always do. Someone uh, here, um, Tulsa24, uh, gave us a one star out of five review. That's pretty good. On Charterball, uh, and said uh, he right. no longer be worse? no longer recommended because the politics on this show leans heavily to the silly left. Now I blame Dan Wong for this. <laughs> <laughs> on the keyboards, Dan Wong, everyone, <laughs> who stood in for Deesha, and we had a great conversation. But I just love how he's no longer recommending the podcast. Because we are leading to the... We haven't got a right to give an opinion, apparently, Dan. No, read the other one, too. Which one's that? The, the one, best podcast ever. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, precisely. Yeah, exactly, right? You, you can't win, right? So one guy is a twat, one guy isn't a twat. You decide who's who here. But uh, I just find it amusing. I mean, this is being in this business. It happens. You get... And I laugh at it now. It used mm -hmm. to affect me when I first started in the business, the, the negative... Um, that's starting the business as my iPad makes noise. I'm a rookie here. Not it doesn't upset me um, anymore. You know, no, I, I get over I it. Thick to skin. It. Thick skin. As well as you want to, uh, you know, take this all on board. I want. I, I mean, I'm interested to hear other people's opinions, and, and I might not agree with it, but I want to hear it. Listen, when you've had sixty thousand people shouting at you that you're a twat, that's a really exactly. interesting point, actually. Yeah, I was going to say as a footballer, but. Does it hurt you more when you get one person on social media hammering you compared to uh, clearly a, a partisan biased crowd at a football game? No, because at the end of the day, everyone has their opinion. And whether it's right or wrong, you have to respect their opinion, whether you agree with it or not. Mm. That's just the case. That's what makes what I really like about the game of football is that not everyone has the same opinions and we can all argue and defer and mm. disagree. That's just what football is. We can't, there's a certain way that we all like to play football. There's a certain way that people talk football. I mean, the, the, the coaching game. There's a, there's a certain way that people like to watch a style of football, but that doesn't make it right. So that's what makes our game so interesting. And again, opinions of people are, are there. 
to be agreed with, disagreed with. But at the end of the day, I don't really care. I and if we want to it. tackle what was clearly a racist comment, we will tackle that racist comment. Yeah, of course. Indeed, free speech. But uh, listen, we, we welcome as much feedback as possible from the viewer, positive or negative. Um, we'll just dismiss the negative and sweep it under the carpet where it belongs. Because no. God forbid, this world's full of enough hate, fellas. That's right. We need to just all uh, languish in our comfort of positivity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what we should do. Uh, get off and your soapbox now, Sean. <laughs> yeah. Back to the whole violence at training sessions. But the whole England you know, international camp. You think it would be more common in an international camp, wouldn't it? Because you have, like you mentioned there, different teammates and different teams, and there's going to be some angst. As much as nowadays they're all mates and they all, in the off-season, holiday together, mm. play under the same sponsorships. Um, but would it not be more... I mean, when, well, obviously, when you play for Canada, a bit different because yeah. there's about three good players in the team. <laughs> and right. the rest of them just kicking each other. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But wouldn't it be more prevalent, you think, in an international camp? No, I don't. I, I, I think in training at club level, you're playing every single day. You know, you're training, you're playing games, but you're, you're, you're involved and you see each other every day to the point where um, things build up over time. So it's like um, a marriage. We had at West Ham United the famous incident between John Hartson and Ile Berkovich. Um, that was actually the cameras were there that day. I, I, I believe it was a Sunday, and we had a Monday game. And Harry Redknapp left the can let the cameras roll while uh, Ile Berkovich um, nutmegs John Hartson, and John Hartson chases him and scissors him from behind. I mean, it was a nasty <laughs> incident, and it was all, it was all on camera and. I remember Harry Redknapp walking over to the camera, and he said, oh, don't worry, this won't go anywhere. <laughs> and it didn't for about a week. And then I was sitting at home, and all of a sudden on Sky Sports, there it was. Somebody leaked the video out. They didn't erase it. And I, Hartson kicks Berkovich he kicks him. full volley right in the side of the head yeah. when he was down on the ground. I mean, it was an ugly incident. We won that five aside, by the way. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, I was on our, our, can our you side. Set that up. Like, what had happened prior? I mean, obviously the bad challenge by Hartson. Yeah, I mean it was a small sided game. Um, we were ending this session with that, and uh, one side, I think our side was up heavily, and Harry Hartson's side, or Berkovich's no, side. No, Berkovich. Berkovich's side. Yeah, right, right. right. And uh, Harry was winding the other side up about their performance and how they were getting hammered, and Hartson took it quite literally, and decided that he was going to take some action in the training session. He saw the, uh, the, the mist descended, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, oh, the red mist came, yeah. And then, was Julian Dix uh, on his team as well? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where Dixie was at that time. Yeah, I'm He'd sure be he a was... good guest, by the way. We'll get him on at some point. Yeah. I interviewed him a few years ago. He was brilliant. Yeah. Really? No, he was One uh, of the hardest players you'll ever play against, oh, right? Oh, man. Yeah. The thing is, when you're up in them small-sided games, whether it's, uh, and you usually play them the day before, uh, a match day, a game day, because it's just ticking over a little bit of sharpness. But if there's a team blowing out another team and someone starts of laying or nutmegging, yeah, yeah. it's red mist. Yeah. No matter if he's your teammate on the field the next day, there's red mist. And them games are probably the most competitive games yeah. of the week. And then if they throw in, including the f- Saturday in some cases, right? Oh, including for Saturday, sure, yeah. really. Well, there's no, no there, there's not really? even any repercussions. Like there's no like there's no referee there. The manager's there, and that's that's about it. Self-policing, and the games get pretty nasty. And I remember even at Ipswich going back, and here I am, 16, 17, come from Canada, and they start a five-a-side playing north v. south. I'm like, oh, right. northerners and southerners. And, and then just seeing the blood, sweat, and tears, just 
everybody ripping <laughs> shreds out of Northern each other. England v Southern England. Yeah, so they're like, oh, know. Craig, well, what are you then? Uh, we're, well, so I would just be the odd man out, and I'd play with who, whoever was short of man. <laughs> it was just unbelievable. So that was the first experience I had with North v South. Stevie, Stevie Bowe told me a story as well when he came up to Sunderland at Arsenal when uh, Colo Turi first arrived at Arsenal, and Wenger used to play in these small-sided games. I couldn't and, imagine him kicking. I know, that's what I mean. But Toure came over as a young African boy and Arsenal had a history of bringing these younger players in and, and kind of moulding them into these players. And apparently Toure was an absolute beast in the in the small-sided games and stuff. And he said he remembers one small-sided game, him absolutely taking Arsene Wenger out. <laughs> <laughs> and Arsene Wenger was at the most pretty, so he probably had the same running style as me, but uh, he was 60s. gangling on the ball when Toure, this younger boy, absolutely come out two foot, just <laughs> took Wenger and the ball out. And all the boys are kind of startled going. And the next week, Wenger signed him. Wow. You know, he was in the, in, his, in the medical uh, room. <laughs> he said... I like oh, this guy's awesome. aggression. I like his competitive do, do, spirit. Do the managers generally <laughs> join into those sessions? Yeah. Mm, uh, it Younger ones. Yeah, I'd, I'd some guys. Frank did. Lampard, you know, guys like his age probably, yeah, yeah. get involved. Yeah. 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 I remember Morris, going to a yeah. TFC training session, a few of them back in the day, when 2007, when you were there, Deitch, and, and Mo Johnston would always join into those sessions. Yes. And we still have some pretty good moves on him. Well, he used to have the, I don't know if you ever saw it, Craig, but um, in the early days, We'd be doing our warm-ups and maybe a possession, and he would be involved with the goalkeepers. Like uh, Eddie Keogh was still here in Toronto as well, was a goalkeeper coach, and Karma Sacco. And Mo Johnson used to go over because it was just Mo and just smash balls at the goalkeepers. Pinging free kicks and stuff, Pinging right? free kicks yeah, I remember and just that blasting too. balls at yeah. them, scoring goals aplenty. And like Eddie Keogh and, and Karma, like, we're, we're trying to do a... Session here. session here and Mo would just come over and smash ten balls in and then yeah. come back over to the possession yeah. <laughs> was Mo one of those managers who, who knew what he had when he played how good he was and just couldn't translate that to the field when you saw a bunch of dirt trackers out there who, who clearly weren't at the standard he played in was that a frustration for him do you think yes that's what I got yes. when I watched that and this, there's a lot of players that have kind of transitioned into the managerial roles that can't transfer their knowledge over or they get frustrated because the players that they're working with cannot grasp it grasp yeah. or actually put on the skill or the technique that these players had naturally yeah and Thierry Henry has just moved into Montreal Impacts mm. struggled at Monaco good point Glenn Hoddle I heard rumours of plenty that, that at Chelsea he would actually demonstrate certain parts of uh, a technical drill receiving it on the outside of your foot keeping it up where mm. you, you had players that couldn't even trap a bag of cement in those days and it just it, I, I, I feel that it built more of a bridge between the player and the, and the head coach no matter how much of a legend they were as a player even Alan Shearer had, uh, at times mm. was very kind of in the mould where if you can't do this why are you a professional player? No, it's your job as a head coach to try and help those players to coach to coach them. Yeah. and I think that that comes to like the guys like Klinsman Hollett uh, he was my manager at Chelsea briefly Viali um, these types of players they've grown up since they were five six years old and they've always been at the very peak of their game and, they're, and, and the guys you know they're the player the alpha male on those teams and they go up and, and they're equally put into teams as they grow that are equally as good as them or 
good players. Um, so to translate that as a coach then into people that don't understand it at the level that you do, I find that the great players sometimes struggle with that. They, they, they don't understand Gretzky, it. Wayne Gretzky at Arizona, remember he was head coach mm-hmm. there? Yeah. Can you imagine taking an instruction from Wayne Gretzky? Like, how do you not see that open man behind you right. through those three players? Yeah. Because you were a superhero. You were a freak, Wayne. How the hell can I yeah. see that? Yeah. Well, for the majority Never of the time out. as well, with, the, with these players of, of high caliber, Diego Maradona as well, who's just been <laughs> There's a few reasons perhaps gymnastics. why, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Maradona has a different one. But there's reasons as well why Pele and people like that, they didn't go into coaching because it was, it was a natural talent that they had. They were never coached great. No. These guys were naturally talented from a young, young age. They developed through the system where there wasn't much coaching at a younger age. Mm-hmm. And even when you were a young pro, I go back to my younger pro days, there wasn't much tactical information or coaching. We were given the base basics of this is what you should be or be able to do at this age. But now I look at like the, the, the coaching, the actual tactical information, the analysis that's going on to these players at a young age. It's incredible the amount of information that they have to divulge. And I just go back to these, these legends that are trying to coach. They, they weren't taught at a young age. It was a natural thing that they either grasp at a young age yeah. on the playground, in the streets, mm-hmm. in the small-sided games that were not refereed. It's so or rare to find a, a star player who becomes a star coach, right? I mean, I'm trying to think internationally, you know, obviously Franz Beckenbauer, he won a World Cup, but mm. you're taking over yeah, a team I mean, of world-class players. Pep was a great player. Pep was That's a, a great good example. player. Yeah. He wasn't a great player. True. He, he was on a great, great side. Yeah. He was a good player. Yeah. But he wasn't a great player. And was he'll he admit that player? as well. Well, yeah, not, not technically a great player, but he was so intelligent on he the was, field. Yeah, he was, he was a, a key member of those, those teams. Yeah. Very hard-working player. But he wasn't a great player. We're not, yeah. we're not saying he's an Iniesta or a Xavi. And right, he admits right. that, which, is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I give him a lot of credit to as well. But it's very hard to, yeah. to find, a, a like, a legend player. That I'm trying to think of something. I mean, head coach. Yeah. Good play. I mean, Frank De Boer has done a pretty good job, obviously, in, in MLS. Zidane not that he won it this year. But... Well, Real Madrid. You know. Well, yeah, but has he, though? Right? Yeah. I know he's won Champions Leagues, but yeah. league, which is so different than cup football, mm-hmm. he's been a failure, yeah. right? Domestically. And, and, and would you, like, say, a team like West Ham United? I don't think Zidane would be a good fit. No. no. Right, right. Yeah, getting the most out of what not much is is very difficult. Yeah. Most coaches are journeymen, right? Or, or you would know. you say? Sorry mm-hmm. to, to stop you. Would you say Kenny Dalglish was a world class superstar? He's a superstar, but would you say he was a world class coach? Because he won things with Liverpool. Yeah, but that Liverpool That's... team back then, Charms, was a fantastic team, and he inherited. Yep. A then lot he of took it. over Blackburn. Won the Premier League with them, but right. another very good team with a young bustling out of coming into Always the argument, though, right? It's so difficult. You say, oh, oh well, anyone could win with this team. Mm. It's not always that case. There's different elements to management, one of which is just that managing players, managing egos, and, and a team yeah. full of great star players mm. like the Liverpool of the 80s. Um, perhaps, you know, the Joe Fagans, the, the Bob Paisleys, they'd run their course. They needed something different at that point. And then in yep. came Kenny as a player manager, remember, back in the mid-80s. That's right. Player manager. And the players obviously respected him because they'd been their teammate for the previous decade, right? So it's a different scenario. Could he have coached a, a team of up-and-comers? Great question. I, I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. Mm. Um, you tell me, you're, you're footballers. Mm. At what point does uh, the, the coach become more of a manager than a coach? Keeping everyone happy. Well, it's a difficult situation. And once you see the dressing room or perceive the dressing room to have been lost 
um, then you got a, you got yourself a problem. Um, I think the manager's biggest thing is, uh, like a Frank Lampard, for instance, going into Chelsea and some of the things he's done there, um, not easy, right? He did well at Derby, goes to Chelsea, um, and has done incredibly well. He's got some big heavy fines uh, Yeah, let's get situations That's a great there. segue, actually, to Lampard, right? Who is doing a great job, did a good job yeah. at Derby last year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people thought, meh, you know. Before, he's joined Chelsea he's, too soon. But before we go into Frankie, the, the most difficult thing for a head coach or manager to do, Craig, is keeping the roster, the players' squad from 12 to 22 happy. The 11 starting are obviously happy, they're involved, they're in the mix, yeah. but the biggest man management skill is keeping the rest of the squad happy. And your, your kids are how old uh, at TFC? They're, they can range from 17 to 19. Right. At what point do you start seeing egos rise and, and cause At an issue? early age, 16, 17. Yeah? Mm-hmm. yeah? Before then, they're just happy to play? Happy to play, very um, open to coaching methods, to um, feedback. But once they start hitting 17, that's when you start seeing the egos appear. And do, you notice a, do you notice a difference between young Canadian talent as opposed to what we had in England and the young uh, British boys coming through the ranks and the, the attitude between, is there a difference between the two? Yes. Here I feel there's, there's an entitlement factor which is very worrying to me. An entitlement factor where they feel they should be given more at a, a younger age. Where in, in Europe and in England, it was, you have to work hard to try and get to where you want. You, you, you have your objective, you know where you want to get to. But I also know how hard I have to work to get to mm-hmm. to, to that object. So they want it instantly. They want to. They want to have it now. Yes. Where you got to put the work in. You have to be consistent, week in week out, before you get to the next stage. Mm-hmm. And I feel here the entitlement factor of whether it be a pro contract or the opportunity to play, train at the next level. Yeah. Do you think that somewhat uh, comes from the parents, uh, the modern parent that 100%. is telling their kid how brilliant they are until they get to an age where they figure yeah. out that, you know what, mom and dad can't get me a freaking job yeah. and I have to deal with this myself. And I'm sure and this is low self-esteem. Of I'm sure this is not adults. just in football as well, okay. I'm sure this is in hockey and sure. basketball now, but I just feel that. The, the, the generation nowadays, and we're going off into a different tangent here, but have been given a lot at a young age and they don't understand what it is to work hard to get to what they want to achieve and whether that's a, a sublime work environment where they want to work and progress, whether mm-hmm. it be in IT or whatever industry they want to work in in sports. The, the, the the definition of what it takes to get there, mm-hmm. the understanding is being missed a lot. Is it because they're given too much too soon? I mean, kids at 12 entering the TFC Academy or however. How, what's the youngest uh, age group at TFC right now? We have our TFC juniors, which sure. uh, are coming in at like 9 and 10. 9 now, and 10. So they, they're entering this beautiful training facility with, with professional quality coaching and they're kids still. And they'd be given, look at this, this is amazing. You've got Michael Bradley's training over there. Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. what is this? As opposed to perhaps overseas, they're coming through the, these terrible fields, these old traditional clubhouses, clubs, well, no, in, and it's in, not quite as polished as what in they're England, being introduced they still to. have the younger age groups um, in the academy. The top, top players, age, though, right? The top, top mm-hmm. players. But what we're finding is, is the players that have the grit, the determination, are probably from... 
the lower backgrounds, the, the lower the lower kind of working class, working class, but also clubs that are not as big in the community as well. So mm. for mm. me, seeing the characters at a young age that are respectful of the facilities they're working in, the environment they're working in, even even we've had the CSA come in and say, look, we're looking for for the boys that have maybe just come into your academy that maybe are the ones that have a bright future. So that's interesting that the CSA are saying that as well. And that's mm-hmm. that's not just with us, that's with Montreal and Vancouver. And there's still a lot of players out there that probably haven't been seen, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Diamonds in, in the rough yeah, just sitting there waiting the to be discovered, that, right? That maybe can't afford to be involved with an academy, Shams. And, and that's, 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 that's not sad now. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, again, uh, there is a lot of talent here in this country. Let's not get away from the fact there's a lot of talent here. But... We still need more from from them, and that's that's from us as coaches as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not just from the players. We need to adjust. We need to to maybe put them in different situations, put them in into situations where they face adversity at a younger age. A little bit more fight and resilience needs to be shown, and and whether that's playing more games in Concacaf against Concacaf uh, opposition mm-hmm. at club level or national level, or just making them. I made my boys train last week in minus 10 uh, degrees of weather. And the <laughs> 75% of them had no intentions of going outside. They thought I was joking. And really? I said, oh, we're going outside. We're going outside on the field. It's good to train outside. I said, after six or seven minutes, you're D4 and you'll be okay. And they thoroughly, they thoroughly enjoyed themselves. Like it was, it was a great training session. But D4. D4. So, <laughs> Is that a word? Are those D4? Like, uh, you know, some kind of defensive uh, yeah. tactic yeah, exactly. there. Are you D4? Oh, come on, coach. I've been D1, 2, 3 my whole career. D just come up with something that I never heard of. There before. you go. I'm going to get it on my mug. <laughs> D4. 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 Hey, Craig, but you, you, you actually discovered football quite late compared to a lot of kids, right? You were, what, lacrosse? Lacrosse, Growing up, hockey, you, and you discover yeah, football shooter. when you were how old? Twelve. Twelve, right? Which is quite late. Yeah, it is. And late. considering you were playing in England at sixteen, mm-hmm. right? So, what was your process to get up through the, the ranks, through the the muck? Well, I mean, I was lucky enough in Coquitlam, British Columbia, being with a, a club that uh, a lot of players crossed over from lacrosse in the in the summer as well as playing soccer too. So, there was a lot of that. Um, and I did understand, I mean, with hockey and lacrosse, I felt that I found it quite, I was comfortable playing it. I was comfortable with my my skills. Um, and then all of a sudden I got asked to play in the soccer team. And In goal straight away? Yeah, in goal straight away. I don't think, honestly, I, I might be wrong, I might be the odd person, but somebody who starts playing at 12 as an out player is not going to make the top level. I think that's just the skills that you have to develop through that. But all the sports that I was doing was hand-eye coordination. Mm. So as far as you know, playing basketball, lacrosse, hockey, and these type of things helped a lot. And I think that's why North American athletes make good goalkeepers, and we've seen a lot of them. Mm. You know, Keller and Friedel, American guys, and that have done well in the, in, in in Europe in goalkeeping positions. Um, but I also knew that it was going to take an awful lot of hard work, and the guidance that I had, I was fortunate. Uh, that uh, they told me the way it was uh, at a young age and that you're going to have to work on it. So the fact that I wasn't good at it, I it inspired <laughs> me that I needed to be at least decent at this because I right. really found it intriguing, the position and how many different elements and things that come into the, the actual position from ball striking to using both feet to coming for crosses. Uh, so you uh, weren't feeling entitled at all, ever, oh, at no, that point? No, no. I just saw it as a, a... That came much later. 
That came much. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a very humbling position. Yeah, I bet it is actually. Yes, yeah, yeah. It is. is that that true? Do you think that at twelve, you know, it's rare that if you haven't shown promise as an out player, it's hard to make the, the gains to become a top player. It's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, you'll see the odd outlier we speak yeah. about. Uh, but how many players, even that you look at the statistics in England, that join clubs uh, at nine, ten years of age? The, the the percentages of the chances of anybody at that age then going on to play professional it's yeah it's tough. Some, it's tough it's it's almost uh, it's I guess young people and parents in in any sport they can see that it's right there it the seems like lights, it's, yeah. right it's tangible almost they see it on TV they, they 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 see these players that are successful they don't realize that the odds of those individuals making it to that level yeah. are massively against you in so many ways you need so much luck. And talent. There is a lot of luck. And and people that I've spoke to disagree with luck. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of luck involved. Mm-hmm. And it's not luck as in you're fortuitous to get to this level because you've just bundled your way through. Right. I'm talking about it could be a coach that actually likes your style of play or your profile. It mm-hmm. could be that a certain player is injured in your position at age 14 to 15 yeah. and you've got more game time and you've developed and progress in yeah. a way that the club or the coaches didn't think you could progress. So 100% that way. I, I go back to from I joined QPR at nine years old. They scouted me at nine years old, went through the system. Only two players from my age group went on to play professionally for QPR. Really? Really? Me Just and two. Kevin Gallon. Mm. So that's two. And that's actually good. From a big yeah, cycle yeah. of players in yeah. West London where we have a lot of players. A lot of players that thousands, go through. Thousands. It's just it's incredible. I, I go back to the parents seeing their younger child in this environment, and they they can see the professional team or the club, the way it's run, very very close. Whether mm-hmm. you're in the U12s, U13s, and you're looking at it, and you're going, oh my, my kid's only four <laughs> stages steps away. away. Yeah, you but smell in it reality, right. he's yeah. miles away. Yeah. Did you find also in Canada, I mean, you hear these stories, won't mention names, but you see these parents with a bit of cash and they'll actually buy their kids' trials at big clubs overseas and, and foster this false confidence within their kid who thinks, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm trialing at AC Milan. I'm trialing at, you know, Tottenham Hotspur. I, I'm going to make it. And then reality hits yeah. suddenly. I, I've heard this a lot about over here in, in particular, people buying trials. Is that an issue? I don't, I don't know if it's an issue, but it does happen. Yeah, they, they give them every opportunity. If they have a wealthy parent, um, parents, they, they, and they can chase the dream. How many of those kids make it? Not very many. Right, because they many. probably would have been discovered if they're really good, albeit yeah. through a bit of luck, maybe. Yeah. It also works the other way, where a lot of these players that are going over, I haven't heard of any from our club kind of being involved in paying for a trial we've got a lot of players that opt to go on trial to europe Mm -hmm. and our philosophy is if you've decided to go on trial to europe then you do no longer want to be part of the academy so you're released from the academy um but these parents that are paying for a trial or using connections to go over to europe they're also using it to put on their resume their cv that my kid has been on trial yeah. at Tottenham Hotspur, but it's not. Who cares? It, there's a lot of community schools and community departments that are involved with these big clubs now, where the, the child is not even going to 
Tottenham Hotspur or Newcastle or Chelsea, wherever it is, it's actually an affiliate Program. Oh, is it really? Yeah, we've had many a case. So where they get over there. They get over there. They're, n- they're nowhere near the. They're training not in Melbourne. Ground. They're <laughs> no somewhere else. Tranmere and it's, it's even smaller. It's a oh, little yeah. bit of our, our naivety over here as parents because we don't understand the actual proper culture that's going over, going on over there in Europe. Do you try and guide them then? When when some parent comes, you go, hey, I've got to make it a trial at Spurs or wherever yes, it is. Do, we you, try do you try and guide, guide them and say, we listen? Have, we have parents' information, parents' education nights. You do, tell yeah. them of the cases that have happened previously, the experiences that we've had with parents prior mm-hmm. to their child being involved in or being talked about going to Europe or wherever it is. It might not just be Europe. It might be uh, South America mm-hmm. we've had uh, kids go to. And it's, it's difficult for the parents because they're not used to it. They haven't experienced it a lot, but... It, we hope we hope that there's uh, better education out there now and that they're suddenly starting to realise that the best place that their young child can be developing is in their hometown of Vancouver or mm-hmm. Montreal or Toronto. But isn't that great, though? I mean, that, when you talk about the game growing in this country the last number of years, you, you see TSC in, in Vancouver and Montreal and you see the first teams, and that's kind of what most people see, the first teams and these nice stadiums. But when you peel away the layers and you see these stories about how the club is actually really benefiting the grassroots level of football, encouraging, educating parents, you don't hear about that stuff. I think it's great. It shows how far the game's come. And you're going to oh, see yeah. CPL teams probably do the same thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, as they I'm get their academy set up. Just, you know, with parents and talking to Toronto SC about, you know, the, uh, the future of uh, individuals. And I've been impressed, really, uh, by how far they've come. I mean, really, when you look at Toronto SC, they've not been around for all that long. Uh, however, their backing and the, the, the management and the MLSE do have a ton of experience. And uh, they made a mis- mistakes early on. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, with Toronto SC, um, but eventually they got it right. And it's not that old a club, and it's been handled very, very well from all levels. It's not easy, this youth academy situation, and trying to you know deal with players and parents. It's, it's not. And uh, you just hope that they, they, they get opportunities. Uh, and even Toronto SC players coming through all those ranks, you know, how many Canadian players and people are coming through there to get opportunities. Yeah. It's, it's a tough go of things. And that's why I say to parents, always just make sure that you, your kid has a backup. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it do something else. Make sure you're, you've got some sort of education in another form that when things go sideways, your dream doesn't work out quite well, that you've got something to back yourself up with. had a great chat yesterday with Mo Babouli, actually. You must know yeah. really well there, Deitch. Uh, he's currently playing uh, for the Metro Stars Canada. Um, and his story is quite interesting, right? You know, he gets hurt, you know, at TFC, played, I think, 16 games his first year there, eventually gets released. He goes to Syria to play, which is more of a passport issue, trying to get into UAE. They changed their quotas up, so that doesn't work out for him. Mm-hmm. It's such a difficult mm-hmm. landscape to navigate professional football, mm-hmm. no matter what the skill set is. It is, like yeah. I said, luck. Yeah. And in most cases, he has well, some luck, pretty poor luck. Say about, talk about, yeah, exactly. And, and I look at how fortunate I was as far as luck goes, even just from the fact that, oh, I had grandparents that were born in the UK. That gave me an opportunity to get passport, a work permit. A right, passport, yeah, yeah. not a passport, but a, a work permit um, initially. Uh, I got my passport four or five years after that. But if I didn't have that, you have to pay 75% of your international game. So I was 16 years old. So that's not going to Even though help. you probably should have done better then. <laughs> yeah, I might have been able to, but for sure. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. What I would say about luck as well, and, and that's why I said it's a little bit different than having fortuitous events that happen to you and you bundling your way into the next stage you have to seize upon that 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 moment of luck so craig for instance had grandparents that were born in britain wherever it was but he did he didn't take that just for granted he knew that okay this was a chance a small chance to open a little window for him right you had to sneak through it 
but then the hard work has to come with it. So you can have a small amount of luck or a big amount of luck, but you have to put in the graft. You have to show that determination and character to move away from home at a young age or to go into an environment where you're not comfortable with and show the people that have given you that small piece of luck mm-hmm. or chance and you have to take it. Yeah. And that's what we're kind of missing here at the moment, Craig, yeah. you know? Yeah. You went to Italy at a pretty young age as well, yeah. right? You went to Sampdoria. Uh, where else did you go? I went to Lecce. Lecce first, that's Sampdoria. right. Yeah, 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 right. So that obviously was available to you because of your, your family's roots, yeah. right? But why did you choose Italy? Was that, was that a really good thing for your career at the time? Probably looking back on it now, it wasn't a good moment for me to leave England. But my dad always wanted me to play in Serie A. Um, the Bosman ruling had just come into effect. So for those of you who didn't know about Bosman, Bosman was uh, a case where he was at a club in Belgium, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lower leagues, right? Lower leagues. And he wanted to leave his club, but back then you couldn't leave your club even if your contract was up for zero dollars so now the Bosman effect came in it went to a high court mm-hmm. ruling where younger players could now leave their clubs if their contract was up so myself and Chris Makin at Marseille who went to Marseille were one of the first Bosman rulings so I'd, I'd left my contract was up at QPR QPR were trying to sell me to Sunderland and Wimbledon that's where I went to Wimbledon for talks and um I didn't want to go there, so I made the choice to go to Italy, probably at too young an age. I was only 21, and I was signed by Sven-Goran Eriksson at the time. Oh, really? He was there? He was there. No way. But then when I arrived in the summer, he'd left to go to Lazio. <laughs> so I was like, fuck me, he's just yeah, signed me. And they brought in an Argentinian coach, Monotti, who won the World Cup with... Uh, Argentina was an older guy, an old school guy, chain smoker, who didn't really fancy English players or younger players. So He didn't see it as bad as Stuta? No. <laughs> didn't have the hair. Didn't have yeah, the long like, flowing oh, hair. Yeah, right. Even, even back then? Or the touch then? in front of goal, either. <laughs> right, 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 right. So there you go. There's yeah. some so that, luck, that, was, yeah. that was my small piece of luck that I got to Sampdoria on a free, right. uh, free uh, deal. Didn't have the opportunity to play there as much as I wanted, so I wanted to play. So let you come in and um, offered me the chance to go on loan there and get some games, much-needed games. And Prendelli was the coach there at the time, uh, who managed the national team later on as well. And Lecce was a, was a old-school, southern Italian town. My dad's obviously from down south as well, and I knew it was going to be difficult down there. My wife at the time found it very, very difficult. They spoke a different language down in the south of Italy, different dialect. And we were very, very... Um, just not happy off the field Mm -hmm. so we ended up coming back to Sunderland in the end uh, at a couple of offers and that was the best that was a little bit of luck where it was the best choice to come back to Sunderland at the time we just Southern Italy to Sunderland wow you know it's a seamless transition a lot of people would see that as bad luck yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it was a great moment for me to to say okay I can either dwell on this that hasn't worked out in Italy for me and I can stay here for Chip a long, your shoulder. long, long yeah. amount of time, pick up my money. But I wanted to play football, so I came back to Sunderland with Peter Reid, who, who sold me the dream of what we're going to do at this club. Worked out pretty well. It worked out pretty in well. In the end, but me. do you ever yeah. think, though, do you ever think, what if Sven didn't leave? Yeah, maybe it would have worked out a little bit differently. But that's maybe, England? So we talk yeah. about luck, and on the counter to that is the misfortune side of things, where whether it be injuries, changes of managers, coaches, uh, change of form. 
which is yeah. not down to you personally putting the work in, but it just happens in football. It's how you react to things. I remember Sven Goran Eriksson. He came to Ipswich. Remember he traveled around as a young coach, traveled yes. around getting experience, picking up bits and pieces from different coaches. So Bobby Ferguson was a coach at Wimbledon or uh, Ipswich at the time. So Sven's there for a few weeks. And he's a super nice guy. Yeah, yeah super really nice. gentleman, right? And Ferguson, the teams, were, were, the club's struggling. Like, I don't know if the Ipswich was bottom at that time, but um, Bobby Ferguson had a dozen golf balls sitting in the cafeteria next to him. So Sven just thought he was going to make some little chatter, and he says to Ferguson, he's like, ooh, uh, do, you, do you play you play ball, golf, Bobby? And he's like, Sven, I got no time for fucking golf. I'm bottom of the league. You fucking idiot. Piss off. Just he like just that, Sven, Sven, right? Just just, the door. So Sven just kind of walked over and sat guy. by himself in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nicest guy in the world. The next thing you know, he, he had a great career. It was interesting because I, tra- I never had a training session with him, and that was part of the the pull for me to go over to Italy to Sampdoria to work with, with Sven, and they had a great team back then, Sampdoria, with a whole host the stars in it but I never actually had a training session with him I was interested to see how his persona the way he is very mild mannered mm-hmm. translated to the field like his training sessions who knows you know had he stayed there right he could have dragged you over to back to England yeah. national team you and Michael Owen big man small yeah. man combo yeah. Oh, the possibilities. The possibilities. <laughs> I tell you what, for, for being a great coach, though, he never could figure out how to use Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard in the same midfield, could no. he? No. Speaking of which. A little bitter about that, aren't you? Uh, a little bit. It's a pretty yeah. damn good team on paper, wasn't it? Yes. Never could quite figure it out. Left wing and central midfield. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's the segue to Frank Lampard. Um, he's doing obviously a great job. This Dan Wong laughs over there. He's like, Shum, Shums is some some professional here. Uh, yeah. We segued to Franco a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry, I that cut you off tangent. there. That's the beauty of this podcast. We go over wherever the hell we want. Um, but it's interesting. So he's doing a good job at Chelsea. Clearly, a good job so Very far. Job, but yeah. he's released his his club rules. Right, you may have seen these, but I read, read them out. The fines for certain indiscretions in the room at, at camp. So, for example, if you're late for uh, match day, £2,500 fine. Late for reporting for training is £2,500 plus £2,500 for every 50 minutes thereafter. If you're late for a gym pre-activation, mm. well, that sounds sexy. I love a good old pre-activation. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is about an hour long. Uh, if only that was the case, bitch. <laughs> There's a £1,000 fine. Late for treatment. Mental or physical? Anyway, £2,500. Uh, late from team meetings, £500 per minute. Get this one. Late for the start of training. If you add it all up, £20,000. £20,000. I understand uh, that nobody's been fined yet. That's no, exactly. Kind of, if the phone why. rings during mealtime... Or a meeting, it's a grand. Um, reporting in the wrong attire or kit for team travel and match days is a grand. Uh, five grand fine for not traveling back on the team coach post-match without giving 48 hours notice to the manager or the assistant manager. Another five grand fine for refusing or not turning up for corporate or community duties. A 10 grand fine for not reporting illness or injury before day off or one hour and a half before training and £2,500 for late for medical appointments. Can you imagine if Mario Balotelli played for Chelsea? <laughs> Woo, watch out. But these seem a lot, right? But like you said, Craig, no one's been fined just yet. Mm-hmm. So is it all bravado, or actually do these players really respect this manager? 
Well, they respect them for sure. And, and the fines like that, we, we had all those fines in place. Uh, every club had fines in place. They just weren't that much. They were, yeah. the, the money wasn't the same. So it was 200 pounds or, or whatever for, you know, being late. Um, punctuality is important uh, for respect and for everybody else as well. And a player that shows up late, everybody else in that dressing room wants somebody to show up late. <laughs> yes. Do they? Right? And then the banter will start. And it will continue on throughout, you know, about the money you owe and, the, yeah, you yeah. Know, and somebody trying to argue that I don't owe because I wasn't 15 minutes, so it shouldn't compound on top of each other. Where does the money go? Does it go to the charity or yeah, they can into have their a kitty for a piss yeah, yeah. Generally speaking, you know, they have their own charities at that money. You drove from to. Ipswich to West Ham for training, right? Mm-hmm. Were you ever late? No. I don't think I ever was late. Wow. It's not that far. Well, it's six enough, three we're, miles to the training ground. Yeah, where West Ham's training ground was in Shadwell Heath. Shadwell Heath. So it's that yeah. side of yeah. It Still was, a good old. I'm not saying it's well, near, sixty-three but, miles door to door to the training ground. Yeah, and the ground Upton Park was further, but we only went there for games, mm. so that was a little bit different. In hindsight, if I was a manager, I would, and I've seen players travel long distances from different teams. Uh, players that played, you know, lived in London, traveled to Ipswich, and whatever. It's not good. The travel is not good. It's not good to get out of a car after sitting there for potentially two hours and getting out and training. Uh, it's bad for potential injuries. It's bad for concentration. It's just, it just, you know, uh, physically and mentally, it's not good. And I didn't think it would be that that hard on me as it was. I mean, mm-hmm. I was traveling down with Richard Hall, who is a local Ipswich boy who was playing at West Ham at the time as well. So that helped traveling down. But then he had a career ender after a couple of years. So I was traveling down by myself for the next three years. And so I would, I would have players to live within a half hour or so of, uh, distance of the, mm-hmm. gra- of the training ground and for sure. But as, as Craig said, those fines are very, very normal for every football club even going down to the lower leagues. Even with my team, I have the, a fine like, system lot. in place as well. Oh, do you? With, with my younger guys. And it's just a matter of respect. 20 grand for uh, missing a meeting? <laughs> 20,000 lira. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just it's a matter of respect for your teammates and also for the coach who's putting pre- pre- preparing a training session for your numbers. So mine are very, very small, but we all put our fines into a uh, uh, a kitty, and we choose a charity, which will be happening in the next few weeks. Footy Prime Podcast? Footy Prime Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I will match Danny. the fine money as well. Really? We'll go oh, to wow. the charity in December and take our check down with some That's some good. old training gear as well. And yeah. I just think it gives the, the players a little bit of understanding prior to them hitting the pros as well, because we're the last academy team before they hit the reserves, T2, right. or the first team, that... This is normal at every club. Maybe not to the extent of what Chelsea are uh, handing out fines there, but put that into... So how much? Tell us. How mines, much, how much mines in... are like $5, $10, but it's purely about communication as yeah. well or not turning up for training without communication. Just just very, very... So let, you, let the coach know. Let the coach know or let on. the medical team know that you're not going to be there or you're not going to be on time because a lot of these players are coming from... We have guys coming from Oakville, Hamilton, after school... Mm-hmm. Traveling to downtown or to Downview, which is tough at that time of day, at two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon. So we understand, but we also understand that you have to communicate and be aware of where you're going, what training practice to be at, what game to be at at a certain time. I love this, but I mean, not reporting illness or injury before a day off or an hour and a half before training, 10 grand for that. Whereas yeah. we discussed it's earlier normal. on yeah. this yeah. podcast in um, previous weeks how sometimes you have to kind of suck mm-hmm. it up. And the old school was suck up the injury. Yeah. I guess times have changed. Mm. You can be found out pretty quickly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I, I think, you know, at Chelsea, too, and Frank Lampard, it go back to respect and everything else. When he was a young player, he was the last one on the training ground. You hear that often. Because you, you, you know, was, you saw it, right? I was, I was standing in goal, his team. him and his dad, because his dad was really primarily just making sure Frank was going to get an opportunity, <laughs> um, take shots for ages after training, just the, just the three of us. Left foot, right foot. Um, you know, as we know, we had a, an amazing strike on him as well, and it was a, it was good practice for me to deal with that sort of thing. So, he was a hardworking individual, even though he came from you know a dad that had a great successful career himself, and that's not always easy trying to follow in those footsteps. His uncle was manager. His uncle was manager, Harry Redknapp. Yeah, the, did, did Harry ever, and Frank uh, what, what, uh, Senior were married to sisters. Was it ever? Discussed internally, the boys and then again, oh, the kids getting the opportunities because of his family, or was it always he earned that opportunity? Actually, yeah, there was a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, a guy named Williamson um, went to was sold to Everton, and a lot of the players at that time thought that that was premature. Thought that he should have been the man to stay, and that Frank wasn't ready to make that <laughs> step into the first team. So he might have got a, a, an early opportunity. Grief. Yeah. Uh, then he then he probably you was he did, ready right? for. That's interesting. But it didn't take long after before he was established. And in, this in Williamson guy, we can't even remember his first name. No. So it turned out for the best. Yeah. <laughs> they saw something in Frank, young Frank. Yeah. But did you see pretty early on that this this kid? Oh, he's yeah. going to be special. Yeah. Just, I mean, there was a, a lot problem. of them too coming. To, I mean, remember, you had Michael Carrick, you had Rio Ferdinand, you got Jermaine Frank Defoe, Lampard, right? Isn't there? Defoe, uh, Joe Cole. What a system. That's in the Tony Carr, right? Tony Carr. Tony yeah. Carr was the academy boss. That's correct. Yeah. What a freaking plethora yeah. of talent. Yeah. He'd been there a long time. I think in the end he had a testimonial, which was nice to do for him because uh, the amount of there's tens of millions of pounds. It was you know it's, it's wow. unfortunate that West Ham wasn't a team that could be able to hold on to those players too. You know, right. just the big right. money. Rio goes to Leeds before he went to Manchester United, and I was you know, fi- fi- find split. Some of the more interesting stories when you read biographies of footballers is, you know, big name players talk about a player that they train with when they were like 15, 16, and they, this, this kid had more talent than I've ever seen, but never made it. Mm. Do you have any other stories, Deech? Some, some guy that you grew up with, you thought, this guy's going to make it. Out of all of us, this guy's going to make it, but for whatever reason, it didn't happen. I had numerous players that I grew up with in, in West London that were from, from broken homes, um, families that didn't support them. One, one of my best friends, Derek, growing up, uh, a Jamaican boy, single parent family. His older brother was in prison, and he was one of the most talented wingers I played with, kind of like in a Raheem Sterling uh, mold. But he just did not have the support. My dad used to bring him to training, but obviously my dad worked as well, so sometimes he couldn't pick him up. And when you're in a professional environment, you, you can't. Sorry, he, we were in a professional academy, but if you don't turn up for practice every week on time or you're missing practice you, you slowly get cut and there was numerous players like Derek that just fell by the wayside and that's through no fault of of their own it's just circumstance circumstances yeah. and what they've grown up with and I, that's why I'm very very fortunate that I had a supporting father and my mum as well but my dad used to come home from work at like five thirty, six o'clock and sometimes he didn't even have dinner but he, he would put on his clothes and get changed quickly and take me to training. And that was, uh, you kind of look back on that from a younger days and you thought that was normal, but it's not normal. You know, it's not normal to have a, a caring, um, supportive parent like that who pushed me at times when probably I maybe would have fell off the, the, mm-hmm. the wayside as well when things weren't going well. But 
that's the support which a lot of younger boys and girls need to, to push them through to the next level, that support and that, that, that moment of someone caring for them. And uh, I look back on Derek, he definitely could have maybe progressed, or well, not maybe, but definitely could have progressed through the ranks if mm -hmm. he had that support. Mm. It's interesting how many of those guys have yeah. slid through the cracks, eh? Yeah. It's crazy. There's lots of lots of players with great talent. And for one thing or another, either that or they get to the next level and the pressures of to perform or the, the pressures of playing in front of a, a crowd that they've never done. Yeah, right. You know. That's yeah. one thing about professionals where I think as a, as an observer I always have respected and hate to give any of you guys credit, you know that. But, you know, we all play sports growing up, you know, some great athletes you play with. But that determination and that courage yeah, you know, you shouldn't take it lightly. It's something you you don't reach the top level but even, without even, having it. Even going back yeah. to my England under fifteen team, we we had a, a really really good team, and I was like a, probably the second choice striker at the time. We had two boys, uh, Kevin Sharp, who was at Leeds at the time, and I think his name was Lee Forrester or Jamie Forrester, that had left Leeds at that time to go to Marseille. And they were seen as like the next Michael Owens. They were seen as like the top, top guys. And it was, I think, only myself and Nicky Butt at the time. And Sol Campbell came in for, uh, at a later stage that progressed to play in the, the higher ranks of the Premier League or move on to like under-21s at England. So that shows you even at under-15 level, Craig, that you yeah. get to a certain level and some kids and parents think that those players have made it but they've still got so Long much way. more work to do. Even at the 21s level where you think, okay, these guys are really going to push on to the next level. Myself, that was the highest level I played at for my national team. I think even if I could have pushed myself a little bit more and maybe not get caught up in DJing and music <laughs> and the other stuff that was going on, uh, no doubt I could have pushed myself more at to the time, get did a you national think, team. When you made, you know, is it U21s you said for England? Yes. Yeah, when you made that level, did you think, okay, it's, it's inevitable then I will make the national team at some point? Or I didn't was think it, still it was in, inevitable, but I probably at that time did not push myself enough at club level and also at national team level to push on to, we had England B at the time, which was my next step. Mm. And it was just, it, whether it's through circumstance, whether it's through uh, game time, playing time, it just it didn't work out for me. And there was numerous players, again, like, like, like myself, that didn't push on to the next level. There are millions of fans of DJ Melo D who are very grateful. <laughs> they are grateful for, for that. On <laughs> 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 the garrison garrison back then in the UK, they were very happy that I stayed there. <laughs> but Craig, I mean, obviously it's different for you coming through the Canadian system, right? I mean, there's probably, imagine, less competition. Was it when you were going through the, the youth grades before the national team debut, was yeah. it inevitable? Okay, I'm, I'm going to at some point have the gloves. No, I mean, it's obviously different uh, level and, and, and uh, competition. Right. Than You're pretty confident England. that you must have been. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, when I was 16, 17 in 1986 during the World Cup, I was, I, in my mind, I should have been there. Why weren't you? Well, the CSA had nothing to do with me. I mean, I had they had zero to do with me going into, into any step of my so career. So there were no really. scouts watching your Ipswich or communication No, no, with Ipswich? Ipswich actually got a hold of our national team and thought, you know, knew that Canada was qualifying for the World Cup and we were pushing to say, well, you sh this kid should be involved. The club got hold of the CSA yeah. to tell them about a Canadian they player. They didn't even right. know Craig was that in Ipswich. That is right. fucking ridiculous. Yeah, that's how... Uh, that's Not surprising, how sadly. Were. Yeah. But, what, what three goalkeepers wow. were there uh, just out of? Well, the goalkeepers, um, who was it? Uh, Tino Latiri, Paul Dolan, who was a year older than me. Yeah. 
And uh, who was the other one? Sven Haberman. Haberman, I think he was he was third string. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You I was must, always disappointed we, we, we at a very young age. But you must have been pretty bitter. Yeah. Do we able to watch that with any kind of enjoyment? Canada's first foray into the World Cup, and only. I was disappointed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we we we'll do a show. Oh, man. Yeah. We'll just do a show at one point when Danny's away next time. We'll just do a, a Canadian soccer show, like take yeah. you into the the inner recesses of the Canadian the yeah. international psyche. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my first, my it's getting better now, obviously. First national team experience, first national team experience was really <laughs> playing with the under-20 national team in, in, in 87 and then going to the World Cup in 1987. So. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but no bitterness, obviously. That's good to see. Um, mm-hmm. Before we go, I want to oh, some, some more rules from Frank. Again, these aren't strange rules, but for the average person, they might find them interesting. The uh, players must also adhere to the following internal rules body composition targets to be met fines for failure to be in target range thank Christ that's just in football teams because that's in the media world I'd be broke actually that's an interesting one because Frank Lampard he can blow up yeah Fat Frank they called him which I love oh, yeah. fat athletes come on I mean, he's, <laughs> he's still yeah. incredible athlete. I mean he's not incredibly fat but he, he was he was chubby. He was definitely it wasn't chubby. Chris Rock patrolling the midfield yeah. for oh, Chris yeah. Rock. Chris Chris Farley. Chris Rock. <laughs> Chris, Chris Rock. Rock. Maybe Chris Rock. <laughs> Farley. <laughs> he probably could actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, players and family guests need to be authorized by the manager at least twenty four hours prior to the day if they want to watch training. Agents are not allowed to be in the training ground unless visiting in official capacity. I like that one. Yeah, is that, that, that commonplace now? As well. It is, that's yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. Agents have to be invited in, or it has to go through proper procedure for them to be in the training facility. Really? Yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. thing. That's a good thing. You always hear rumors about you know agents circulating certain teams and clubs and international setups and stuff, and just slithering around. Yeah. And most training grounds are all sectioned off now as well. It's different than back in the day where yeah. we ever used to train at a park or yeah. certain training grounds the where there was houses in the back garden that could watch training. Or, yeah. So it's a lot different now. Yeah, yeah. All right, fellas, we're out of time. That was uh, see, we can be serious. Yes. Occasionally. <laughs> That's a lot of fun, though. I really enjoyed that, fellas. Um, please, as we mentioned before, socials, get on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, footy underscore prime or footy prime the podcast. We thank com, also one of our homes as well. And, of course, Eggplant, picture and sound for providing this wonderful studio. Sponsors, we're waiting for you. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next time. Knock at the door. Cheers for listening. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.